Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What are Jason Light's best and worst draft selections? And what's the over-under on the number of quarterbacks taken in the first eight picks of the NFL draft this week? Will the Rays' Yoshi Sasugo be DFA'd? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick, getting to your mailbag questions. we got a bunch that are good today in just a second. But first, Steve, let me give you your opinion. NBC Sports will no longer be covering the National Hockey League. That contract is going to equal parts, I guess, ESPN and Turner Sports Network. Good thing or bad thing for the NHL? Will Charles and Shaq be on the hockey coverage? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. That was terrible. Vasil left again. I was crazy. I can't even say his name. I was terrible. Shaq would be like. They're trying to get Shaq Ooh. to pronounce all those names. Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't know. I mean, they do such a great job. And I mean, such a great job with the NBA. And of course, they're mm-hmm. all knowledgeable. Kenny and, and Shaq. I don't know that those same guys, of course, will be hired to do the NHL. However, however, um, ESPN did it for did did the National Hockey League for years, right? Barry mm-hmm. Melrose, oh, yeah. and Hockey Night, or whatever they call—I don't know what they called it. But um, so, I, I mean, I like NBC. I kind of I, I I like NBC's coverage. I don't have a problem with it. So, is this better or? It depends on you, you know, what you're looking for. I mean, you know, the NHL. I'm sure it's a financial thing, and so you know they're getting Better more for the money. League, right? They're yeah. getting more. I mean, I think they got as much from ESPN for half the package as they got from NBC last time. Oh wow! And then you're adding on. So for the NHL, it's a good thing. Um, mm. NHL or Turner does a fantastic job covering the NBA. So if they can bring that same mm-hmm. production and mm-hmm. you know mindset and you know to the NHL, it can be a good thing, um, and maybe even help reach some younger viewers and and you know mm-hmm. stay more in the mainstream that way. So um, you know, ultimately, you know, when it comes to television deals, money rules, and so for the NHL, I'm sure it's it's great financially. And, uh, you know, we'll see how they cover it. And, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of those NBC people that you see are probably going to go to either ESPN or Turner now. And, you know, so a lot of those faces will be familiar. So, but we'll see what they have in store. Yeah, they'll hire a whole bunch of of studio folks, I'm sure, and and, and people to cover it. Um, Well, I mean, hey, change is inevitable. And I know that uh, networks like NBC have put out a ton, a ton of money for the National Football League. So, at some point, you have to prioritize. So has ESPN, by the way. I mean, everything's going up, right? So, mm-hmm. But it'll be good infusion of cash for the NHL. So we've got lots of uh, questions, not surprisingly, about the NFL draft that starts on Thursday at 9 p.m., much too late for my liking. Or is it 8 p.m.? It might be 8 p.m., actually. Let me check that. I hope just it's a eight. I thought it, I assumed it was eight. I didn't. Yeah, I think it is eight p.m. I stand corrected. But what? Regardless, it's uh, going to be after midnight, folks, before the Bucks yeah. make a pick. If 8, they stay eight p.m. Eight p.m. Yeah, if they stay at thirty-two, it's going to be very close to the bewitching hour. 
But we'll have all your coverage here on TampaBay.com and, and uh, in the Tampa Bay Times. So let's get started. Well, we'll start with the NFL draft since it's this week, and Ellis leads us off. So far, who has been Jason Light's best and worst draft selections as the GM of the Buccaneers? Um, well, I think we'll get to the worst in just a minute. I think that might involve a kicker. Nah, it just might. <laughs> or you could you the, could you could put Vernon Hargraves up there. Well, but the, you know, here's the thing about Knowing Vernon that he was Hargraves. a first round pick compared yeah. to a second. Right, right, right. I get it. And and Aguayo, Roberto Aguayo was a second round pick. However, he was a kicker. Not always a great idea to draft one. And you traded up for him. That's true. And you, yeah. I mean, look, I'm. It, he's going to be hard to move. But I, I will. I will tell you my opinion on Vernon Hargraves. See, I think there are there are um, draft busts and 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 draft picks who are busted. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, uh, Vernon Hargraves was busted. He was. Look, it's never a player's fault if he's overdrafted, right? Don't blame the player. You know. Um, now you you know you could argue that even Roberto Aguayo might have been a, a, an effective NFL kicker if he had taken the normal route of as a you know either as a free agent signee. I really believe that the expectations and the illumination of him um, as a second-round pick, you know, kicking is a mental game, and it doesn't take much to throw some of these guys off. Now, you know, there are, we can go back and look at that and say, why would you take a guy who, while he was the most, at the time, consistent college football kicker in history, Really didn't kick anything over 45, 46, 47 yards. From 50 out, I don't even know that he made any uh, in college. He really didn't have this giant leg. And, you know, I just think you overdrafted him, and it probably put an immense amount of pressure on him. Maybe he wasn't going to be a good kicker anyway, but we may never know. Um, But a terrible pick. Hard to argue that there's a worse one, although there are some candidates. Here's where it's really tough is trying to find figure out his best pick because we don't have all the information, right? We mm-hmm. don't know, for example, that Devin White won't put on a gold jacket one day or Tristan Wirfs, right, or Antoine Winfield Jr. Their careers are still so so embryonic at this point. They're, they're really just beginning that it's hard to, to try to project that. I would say this. I think right now – uh, the best pick that Jason Light ever had is his very first one, Mike Evans. Yep. Um, you know, M- Mike Evans, and and look, I was I was in on the joke, right? Because I remember uh, that draft, and I didn't know Jason very well, and I think Lovey Smith may have put him up to it, but um, they got me and everybody else to bite really hard on Johnny Manziel that year. You know, to the point of I was pretty much courted. <laughs> um, you know, oh Johnny, oh Johnny, well, we tell you what, that gets special now. You know, this, that, and the other. What was special was how Mike Evans caught everything that Johnny Menzel just tossed down the road to him. You know, like Johnny would run around, chuck it deep. Mike would go up and make a play. We saw Mike do that in the NFL with Jameis Winston quite a bit as well. But Mike Evans was their target. They liked him better than Sammy Watkins, who I believe went ahead of him. Um, but you know, all along. You know that that was that was in fact the guy they really wanted. And if you go back and you look, you know Mike was a guy that was a basketball player in in high school and came to football very late in his in his career. It really wasn't number one for him and um, ended up at at Texas A and M. And I think he played all of like two seasons, redshirt sophomore, whatever it was. And 
you know, he was just electric. Um, and, you know, look, he, you know, seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. I don't know how much longer he will play. Uh, he's still only about 27 years old, 28 years old, something like that. As he reaches his 30th birthday, he's got seven 1,000-yard seasons and only player in NFL history to accomplish that. So he very well, you know, is on a trajectory of not just Ring of Honor, but maybe Hall of Fame. If he were to win another Super Bowl or two and play another five, six years and, and put up the kind of numbers he's capable of, um, you know, you might see him in Canton one day. It's not impossible for him. But I, but I do think that, you know, at this point, he would be Jason Light's best pick. However, I would buy stock in Devin White. I would buy stock in Tristan Wirfs. Safety, Winfield's a little tougher. There's just a lot of safeties, and that's a numbers, kind of a numbers position. You need a ton of interceptions and things like that these days. You're not, you're going to be compared to guys like Ed Reed, you know, that are in the Hall of Fame. It's very difficult. Even John Lynch had a tough time making it after his stellar career. So, um, but right now, yes, Mike Evans, and and of course I'll go on the other end of the spectrum. I'll go Roberto Aguayo. All right, Brian asked. What draft pick do you think, since covering the NFL or the Buccaneers specifically, were you most surprised did not work out? And which pick do you remember seeing at a training camp or preseason and immediately knowing he was going to be great in the NFL? All right, I'll give you the player that um, when I saw, I really thought he would be great. I'll do that one first. And it's probably because he wasn't a first-round pick. Um, and he flashed immediately, and he has never stopped. And that is Chris Godwin. You know, when Chris Godwin came to this team, I mean, Mike Evans was starting to really become established as a, you know, as one of the top receivers in the game. I mean, it took Mike, even though he had thousand yard seasons, it did take him a couple years to start to become sort of a polished guy. Um, started taking care of his body, started doing things that pros do, because he was so very, very young when he got here. And I think, you know. Um, Vincent Jackson had a big impact on him, um, you know, and, and and so Mike was Mike was and is the man, right? He was the dude, and then Godwin shows up, and Godwin had this maturity about him that was just ridiculous, like well beyond his years. And he was he was uh, since he wasn't a first round pick, he was very humble, and he is anyway. But he was humble enough to uh, you know to to learn from Mike to kind of attach himself, and Mike. Mike was gracious enough to to help Godwin, you know, uh, early on, and the way he had been helped, and and but what you see today um, is kind of what he was. Now, I think I think his big year, you know, was 2019, and I think Bruce Arians coming here launched Chris Godwin. I mean, he led the team in receiving at 1,333 yards, I think nine touchdowns that first year um, with Bruce because Godwin was made to play that slot position that Larry Fitzgerald and others have played in this offense. He's uh, physical enough to root out blockers, linebackers, and safeties and such in the run game, and yet he's um, you know big and physical enough to make those combat catches over the middle. And But he can run and can stretch the defense too and get behind people, which you rarely find – um, first of all, a guy who's willing to do that at that wide receiver position, but then is really excels at it. Like all those things he excels at. And then just his, you know, just his general, you know, professional temperament, like I said, mature beyond his years. 
So Godwin was just so steady. And you had guys while he was here like Deshaun Jackson, who had been a star. You had other guys coming in here, and they weren't as professional as Chris. Um, and so I would say Godwin was the one that um, that just kind of flashed immediately. And then, look, this might be recency bias or whatever you call it. Um, you know, there, there's been other players that I thought were good. I, I did think in the beginning I thought Warwick Dunn, when they drafted him, might be too small. But immediately – you could see he was just going to be great. And really um, what was interesting about that, their idea was to preserve him because of his size, not to give him the ball more than 15 times a game. And so they split the baby in half with him and Mike Allstott. Of course, you had you know, WD-40 and all that stuff. Um, but in actuality, work done once he left Tampa Bay, really became a guy that was a workhorse back for the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, he carried the ball all the time or caught it all the time. And he proved he could hold up physically to do that because he, he was slippery, man. He would never take a direct hit. Like, he knew how to avoid um, the kind of contact that running backs get that, that you know, puts them on IR. Uh, so he was special. The guy who I, th- I thought was going to make it, and I had evidence to believe this, um, didn't know him very well at the time. Looking back, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But um, looking back, I understand him, or maybe don't understand him more now than I did then. But it was Josh Freeman. Look, Josh Freeman was excelled, okay, at Kansas State um, as a 19-year-old. As a 19-year-old with Raheem Morris as their defensive coordinator for the Wildcats, went into Texas and beat them, did them at 19 years old. Um, Didn't play long in college, but you talk about, you know, physical ability. He had it. Um, Big guy, really strong arm, fairly accurate at times, most of the time. Uh, And, you know, just seemed to, seemed to fit the part. You know, he, he was, he was sort of a little on the quiet side, I'd say. He had a competitive streak, though, and, and he, you know, he sat on the bench for the first, what, seven, six, seven, eight weeks um, as a rookie, and that was intentional. They didn't want to rush him into, you know, into the lineup too soon. Um, but his second year, Steve, I mean, you go back and you look at, at 2000, the 2010 season, Raheem Morris's second year. Josh Freeman is the starter. Um, they're playing young guys that are, you know, some of questionable character or whatever, but like guys like, LeGarrette Blunt and, you know, um, I don't know, Akeem Tlaib was already here and he was he was down the road a little bit. But, you know, with, with not a ton of talent, I think Courtney Hawkins was a receiver, with not a ton of talent, Josh Freeman went 10-6. and 10-6 and six in his second year as a quarterback. And I want to say he threw 25 touchdowns and six interceptions. 25 and six. And from my experience, and this would have been, you know, early 2000s or so, or, or not early 2000, 2000, yeah, 2009 he was drafted. Mm-hmm. So mid 2000, 2000, around 2010, my experience at, to that point had been that it's hard to win 10 games in the NFL, and it's really hard to win 10 games in Tampa. Like, they just never did it. In fact, they rarely had a winning season at that point. They were just coming off 3-13 and 13 with Raheem. And they put this kid in, and I always believe that if you're special, it shows up right away. Well, it did. You can't fake 25 touchdowns and six interceptions. Now, it's not 45. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, by today's standards, that 25 touchdowns doesn't seem like a lot. 
But, you know, he didn't have a lot around him. Mike Williams was another receiver. And he managed to guide this team. Really, it was – if you go back in history, one of the last teams to not make the playoffs with 10 wins were that Buccaneers team. Not only so, did he go 25-6, and six, but he had five fourth-quarter comebacks. Yeah, right. No, he was doing everything. Like, I was – I completely – the hook was in my mouth. That was when, of course, my good friend Tom Jones – I wouldn't have gone as far as this – said that they should give him $100 million, <laughs> um, which, thank God, he's not GM. Um, now, what what we didn't know about Josh Freeman, we came to find out, and it wasn't all good, <laughs> to say the least. But I think, you know, that that's another one of, you know, did, did Josh, was Josh, a, was Josh Freeman a bust or was Josh Freeman busted? Um, the right coach for Josh Freeman – was Raheem Morris. Raheem understood him, may not have been good for him, um, because we, and I wrote that story when Raheem came here as the head, interim head coach for Atlanta last year. You know, he would, you know, Raheem was a young guy. He was 32 years old when he got the head coaching job, 33 when Josh got here, and, um, or 32, I guess, his first year he drafted him. Um, and he would go out, you know, to to Howard Avenue and he'd go to 717 South to eat eat dinner. And Freeman w- would show up and would be out there, you know, as a 20-year-old NFL, starting NFL quarterback might be, looking for female companionship or whatever. And the guy would, you know, go to 717 South, go to the bar, and there's Raheem eating dinner. Next thing you know, they're eating dinner together. And according to Raheem, the word spread that, like, look, this dude's this head coach out there drinking with his quarterback all the time. Raheem will tell you, what was I supposed to do? I'm there having dinner. I'm not going to kick him out of the restaurant. I'm not going to leave, you know. So, um, but these sort of things went on, and, you know, I I just don't think that Josh, I think I think he responded well to positive reinforcement. Um, like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't the most demonstrative guy. He wasn't, like, fiery the way, you know, the way Tom Brady is. Um, he was kind of quarterback cool. He's kind of laid back a little bit. But, you know, if you're winning, here's the thing. The same traits, and we've, we've done this with coaches. If, if you're, uh, uh, you know, if you're winning and you stand on the sideline and you keep your arms folded and you rarely yell at officials and you're winning, then they say that, oh, look at his teams. They're disciplined. They're like him. They're in control. Um, you know, they're cerebral. Uh, they're a smart football team. They don't get too high or too low. They they epitomize their head coach. Look how in control he is. That same guy, when you're losing, he has no fire. He 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 can't motivate his team. Look at him over there. Just you know everything's going on around him, and he's just standing there. He's not doing anything. He's not saying. He's not a leader, right? That guy was Tony Dungy, just depended on whether he won or he lost. Those were the perceptions of him. The same is true with quarterbacks. You know, I, I didn't care necessarily that, you know, Josh wasn't a rah-rah guy, you know, because sometimes you need that calm presence in your huddle because it can get pretty damn hectic out there. And I thought that was one of his strengths. But when he started losing, you know, he became like, well, he's a flake. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's he's checked out. He doesn't like football. And some of that became true. Like, um, and again, they they got him beat up, and um, he had some bad experiences. Some things happened in his family. I thought, which wasn't good. Um, you know, we know. And then the worst thing happened to him: Greg Schiano. 
You know, and Greg Schiano never wanted Josh Freeman as his quarterback. Newsflash, it's true. Um, but the owners told him, you know, and Shiano was very clear when he took the job. He said, look, you know, if I keep Josh Freeman as my quarterback, you, you know, th- that's not who I want. And they said, well, if you were to get rid of him, you then, you know, it cost you your job pretty soon because the fan base would rail and, you know, he's established here and, and, and you know, he needed to get better, but – you know, it, it would, and he, and you know, and Shiano was like, "Hey, with all due respect, I think he's going to cost me my job if we keep him." And they just weren't good for each other. And then Josh got into the drug testing program, the stuff about Adderall, all of that. Um, you know, stripping him of, his, of the captain's C, and there was a lot of personal issues, as it turned out, with Freeman. But I think that I think Shiano sort of drag some of the worst out of him a little bit. And I'm not blaming Greg. I'm just saying he didn't really know how to help the guy. Um, whereas I think Raheem had a little better handle on who he was and how to, how to, um, how to get the best out of him. So, um, yeah. So I'll say Josh Freeman because I just, I've never seen a quarterback um, on a bad football team win 10 games and have those numbers and then just fall up the map the way it all right, Matt asks, with depth at running back, could the Bucks use Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette as trade bait to move up in the first round? No, not likely. I mean, these are these are the kind of things you hear people, and I appreciate the question, that it's, it's sort of a fantasy football. You know, when I say fantasy football, I don't mean the kind that you play, what well, a little bit what you play uh, when you do your fantasy drafts and stuff like that. Real The real NFL doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, here's what the NFL thinks about running backs and that is there's really – there are some elite guys, right? There, there are guys that uh, even, in, even in recent history have gone, you know, f- fairly higher than lower in the first round. But more and more now, I think there's a consensus in the league that the running back position, there's not a great variance between who you take in the bottom of the first round or who you might get as far down as the third round or fourth round. Um, you can win with those guys. And there's the, the, the league is full of examples where I think there's a bigger drop-off, certainly at quarterback, even wide receiver, defensive backs. You know, you're not going to get a ton of production. You know, you can point to Tom Brady or you can point to Russell Wilson, but you can't point to many of those guys. At the running back position, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of 1,000-yard rushers out there that were, you know, dropped into the middle rounds. And and so I, I don't think you have to get a guy, um, you know, really that high. So I don't – I think teams know it, and therefore there are running backs in this draft. I don't think you trade for one, um, even if they end up with a surplus of them or they draft a running back. I mean, it's possible a team that has running back as a big need goes through the draft and it just doesn't work out for them. They just They just, you know – they're always not in the right spot, and they take other players, and at the end of the draft, they go, wow, we didn't address the running back position. We're in trouble. But that's pretty unusual um, at this point. Not saying, not saying you couldn't trade a guy, um, but I don't think it'll be done in, uh, in order for them to get draft capital and move up. I mean, that's the thing. Most teams, if they – like, say the Bucks draft – Let's say they draft one of the top running backs, uh, Najee Harris. Let's say they take him, uh, and they decide, you know what, we just got too many running backs. We, we, can't, we don't have enough footballs. So this is going to be a problem. Let's deal Leonard Fournette and his one-year, three-and-a-half, four-million-dollar deal. I mean, most teams are going to know, you know what, 
they got too many running backs. Why am I going to give them draft pick compensation and have to pay the player if we get them as opposed to just wait for them to release the guy? You know, um, now the only reason you might give them a token draft pick is if you think there's more than one team interested in Leonard Fournette at that point um, or whoever it is, Ronald Jones, whatever, whichever running back they decide to part with. So even then, I don't think it's much – you don't have any leverage, right? So if, if there's a reason to trade a guy, most people know what that reason is and know you got to dump him anyway, and they're going to wait. They're going to wait it out, you know. And he's a vested veteran, so there's no waiver procedure. It doesn't really matter. As soon as they make him a free agent, anyone can sign him. So I would debunk your theory. I don't – I really don't think that uh, the running back position would be used for trade bait in this draft. Now, watch, having said that, they'll trade one of those guys for, you know, third-round pick. But, um, but no, I, I don't think that's possible. All right, K-Rad asks, over or under, four-and-a-half quarterbacks taken in the first eight picks of the draft? Uh, four-and-a-half, which would mean you'd either have to take five or four. Am I reading that question right? You could Sounds take like... three or six, but, you know, yeah, you're reading it yeah, right. Well, but you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, any number thereof. I'm going to take the under, but I don't think it's going to be way under. Here's here's what I think I think is Peter King would say. I'm pretty sure that Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jaguars. So there's one, okay? Could be that one. I think Zach Wilson's locked into the New York Jets. There's two. Now, where it gets really interesting is at number three, right? Um is Mac Jones going to go to San Francisco? Uh, is it going to be Justin Fields? Um, you know, one of those Trey guys. Lance. Or Trey Lance, yeah. One of those guys could go. But only one can go, okay? Only one can go at three. So let's give them, let's give them, I don't know, Trey Lance. Okay, let's say San Francisco goes with Trey Lance. All right, so you still got Fields, you still got Jones. At number four is where the draft really begins for me. It's Kyle Pitts. So we've had two, we've had three quarterbacks go. We're at number four. Me personally, I don't. Now someone could trade into Atlanta, and it could be four for four. We could be four for four. Um, but I think Atlanta is going to take the best player in the draft. I think that they believe. I think they believe Matt Ryan has some good years left. So I think they believe that Matt Ryan, even though he'll eventually be replaced, that they can win with him. They got a couple years to rebuild. You know, no one's looking for them to go to the Super Bowl this year. New coach, new GM. Let's start building a good football team, and we will figure out a way, you know, to to, to address the quarterback position. Even though we were up there now, that's true. Um, but we feel like Matt Ryan, you know, good quarterback. So I'm I'm going to say that that Atlanta and or somebody else that trades up there. I, I think – I don't know that there'll be a quarterback one, two, three, four. But even if there is, even if one of those other guys go, okay, look at the, the rest of the group here. Again, barring trades, and, and all these teams could trade out of these spots to let a team come get a quarterback if the compensation's right. But the Bengals don't need a quarterback, right? But if, if it goes four for four, if Atlanta trades out, mm-hmm. there might be a team willing to trade Cincinnati – that's what I mean. Because, like that's because possible. There's, there's really five quarterbacks that we feel is going to go high in the first round. Or right. Could go high. Right. Because your six quarterbacks probably Kyle Trask, and you're not thinking high first right. round for him. Right. That's so right. So if it becomes a race on quarterbacks, where there's teams that want quarterbacks, and the four are gone and four picks, yeah, it gets interesting. 
it gets damn interesting. However, how do I say this? If say say it's Fields that's falling, or say it's Lance that falls, I I don't know that that a team won't just wait for him to drop all the way to them. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how much draft capital you're going to use if you see that happening, that, that they're, mm-hmm. believe it or not, you know, what's interesting about the draft is everybody says, oh, his stock is rising, his stock is falling. You know what's happening? All the, Their stock is what it is. I mean, teams have a pretty good idea who these players are. I mean, they scout them all year long, right? They have regional scouts doing their games, filing reports. They know who they are, what, what value they put on them. There's a few things that confirm that, like private workout or, you know, pro days and things like that. But for the most part, they go by the film. So they already have their guys sort of on a board figuring out what who's worth what. All that happens is more information comes out, right? You get a little more of a clearer picture. And sometimes you get you get just the opposite. You get nothing but smokescreen. Um, but I think that, you know, as it all shakes out, I believe that there will be somebody that's not going to go in that top five. I don't think there's going to be five straight quarterbacks. Yes, somebody could trade in with the Bengals, but the Bengals... I don't see the are, Bengals trading, but it, it could... I don't either, and that's go, the thing. Like, it's really hard. It's re- like, okay, so they need offensive line help. Talk about a quarterback. They drafted Joe Burrow, right? He got hurt, tore his ACL, got hit a lot, and you got a guy like Penny Sewell, right? Yeah, I don't Staring think they're taking you. him. I think they're taking Jamar Chase. Okay, or Jamar Chase, which will also help your quarterback, am I right? Yes, but I still think they need offensive line more than they need a receiver. <laughs> well, regardless, they're taking a good yes. – they're going to take yes. a damn good player to help their damn yes. good quarterback. Yes. So I don't think they're going quarterback. I think they're going to keep the pick, I think, and I think Miami's going to keep the pick. And maybe they reverse those. You know, I don't really know. Because Miami has what? A young quarterback into a tongue of Aloha. So they, they want to build around him. So they're not taking a quarterback. Um, you get to uh, you know Detroit. the Detroit Lions. And some people have said, well, you know, Jared Goff, I don't know. Look, they gave up. They 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 did some stuff for Jared Goff. I know he came that way, and and you know, it's a big salary and all that. I I don't. Could you draft a guy there? You could, but again, you need a better football team. You know, you got you have so many needs, and you just made the deal for Goff. So I see them going, you know, maybe with uh, with an offensive lineman, um, you know, maybe Slater, maybe some of the, one of those guys. Then you get to Carolina. Now, that's where it gets interesting. But Carolina is picking eighth. And you just made the deal for Sam Darnold. You didn't give away a lot. So you could, with Matt Rule, you could say, we're going to get our quarterback right here, and it's going to be Justin Fields, or it's going to be whoever falls to us. That's the one I'm not sure of. Um, I'm really not. But I just I think there's going to be one of these quarterbacks. I think there's going to be four that go, and I think there's going to be one that falls out of the top eight. I think he's probably not going to fall much further out of the top ten. I think by ten, when you get to Denver, um, no one's going to get by Denver at nine, right? Because they're sitting there with, with Drew Locke, and I, I'm here to tell you, Drew Locke is not the guy taking them to the Super Bowl, and they know it. So I don't think a guy gets past nine. Um, but as far as the top eight go, I'm going to say four go in the top eight, not five. That's my opinion. Because there's too many other good mm-hmm. players, you know, that, that absolutely would go somewhere in the top ten, and they don't play quarterback. They're going to go there because that's what the boards are going to say of these other teams mm-hmm. when they rate players. They're going to say, you know, that, you know, this guy is the highest guy on our board, and we're taking him. Anyway, that's my belief. All right. And I couldn't tell you who that guy's going to fall. Who's going to be? Joe asked. 
How much influence do owners have on the draft? Do they voice who they would like to be selected with each pick or at least ask a lot of questions? Depends on the owner. You know, I mean, for Jerry Jones, I really believe I really like this guy, Florida's tight end. We had him. Um, well, yeah, the Glazers, I mean, Jerry Jones and Mike Brown are the GMs. They are the GMs, the de facto GMs. I, there's other there's other owners, I think, that are more hands-on. But for the most part, if your management style um, is that you hire the best people and let them do their jobs, which is usually the best way to go, um, the owner has to know. Here's, here's what owners ask, including the Glazers. Tell me why we're taking this guy. Tell me why not why what about this guy? And they don't study the draft. Like they're not gonna go and do a bunch of mock drafts and look at all the mocks and say, well, Yeah, but you know, Kuiper says we should take so and so. That's that's not really their style. But they're gonna they're gonna want enough information that says, Look, here's what we know about this guy, here's how here's how we think he's gonna help us. Um, you know, now I will say, I believe this and, and I've been told Heard both ways. I believe my way is correct. I do think that the year that Roberto Aguayo was drafted in the second round, I think the Glazers might have put their hand on the scale there. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that they insisted that right there they move up into the second round and take Roberto Aguayo. What I'm saying is they were desperate to get Roberto Aguayo because they were having kicking issues for a decade. And they wanted to solve them. And they thought, this is, look, this is the way to solve it. I don't care. We've got to get this guy. And who was influencing them? Well, Jameis Winston, for one. That was his teammate, right? Jameis won a national championship. Aguayo was kicking all the field goals and the extra points. Made sense, right? Former teammate, all of that. Jimbo Fisher, they had a connection there through Jameis. And I just think that the Glazers had had it. Uh, with the kicking situation, and really, and I think Jason Light probably told them, "Look, we're going to draft this guy. You know, we're we're not going to wait to try to sign him as a free agent. We think he's draftable." They went up to his pro day, and they probably told him, "Don't worry, we're getting a kicker this year. And if I have to spend a high draft pick on it, I will." It wound up costing them a lot more than it should have because I think he would have been there if they'd have waited, maybe maybe until the draft was over, but certainly until the, the fourth round or so. Um, but I do think that the pressure maybe that that front office or Jason in particular felt about getting not just a kicker, but that kicker, right? Again, national championship, uh, most successful or accurate in college football history, read the resume. Uh, it was all there. And so from that standpoint, I think, I think the Glazers had an influence. I've been told they did. I don't know that they said you're taking them right here. But they did say, we're getting our kicker, right? We're getting our guy, right? We're getting Aguayo, right? And I think that was like sort of sort of marching orders for Jason Light, whether he believed in it or not. And he may have believed it wholeheartedly that that's what they should do, but that's the only time. I Typically, I, I don't think owners get that involved. Now, they're going to, you know, if it's a quarterback, yes. You know, like they had to sign off on Jameis Winston. There was problems there. There were there were uh, off-field issues. They had, you know, the quarterback is the face of your franchise. It's not the owner, and it's not the head coach, okay? It's the quarterback. So when, when Lovey Smith had a choice to make between Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, he had to convince the Glazers, uh, and they had to pretty much be on board with, yes, we're, we're comfortable with Jameis Winston. We did our research. We did all these 
hours and interviews, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and yes, we're okay with him representing us, knowing what we know, all we could know about the case at Florida State, et cetera. Uh, uh, so, so, the, so the quarterbacks are sort of, you know, again, not that they're picking them per se because they would be foolish to do that. They're not football experts, right, for the most part. But I think you have to tell them, and they have to like him, and they have to be willing to let him represent the franchise. That's that's pretty pretty much the extent of the ownership's uh, involvement, as far as I know. I'm sure there are some that are more involved than others, but for the most part, I think that's where it stands. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, we'll switch to baseball now. And Tommy asked, Hey, Rick, how long until we see Luis Patino in the Rays' rotation? Does he have to build up his innings? Because I can't wait to see him going six to seven innings to start. I would say the next time out, he'll probably go as, as far. Like From my understanding, I mean, he's built up to four already, and he could have gone four, but the plan was to get Josh Fleming in there. They let, they let him go through the lineup one time, and when they got back to the top of the lineup uh, in a lefty, against Toronto that's when they made the move to Fleming so he could have he had you know he retired after the leadoff walk he retired eight straight he struck out three in the first inning the dude is electric um in terms of his stuff now I still think he can throw harder I saw him hit 97 um I think he has sort of controlled aggression on the mound a little bit he's still trying to feel his way to the strike zone because walks have been an issue for him uh, and, and he hasn't played much baseball. Here's the thing about Patino. I mean, before San Diego uh, brought him up in a brief stint a year ago, I don't. he didn't make it past double A. You know, he had pitched very little. And he, he was successful. His ERA was well under three. It was just over two something. But he had not pitched beyond double A baseball. So he's a young. He's 21 years old. He's a young and not a very game-tested, um, you know, professional pitcher. I mean, he... he the stuff will will carry any place, I believe, um, but he just hasn't been there. He just hasn't. He doesn't has put in the the miles yet. Um, so, you know, I think the plan is, uh, you know, to to continue to stretch him out a little bit. I think you'll see him open another uh, game or two. I think you'll see Honeywell do that as well. I think Honeywell isn't stretched out, and he may stay. Honeywell might be a little different. He might just be limited to an inning or two here or there because that's an injury situation but with Patino look he went out there he dominated a really good Blue Jays lineup all the way through that first time now you know the next test will be can he get through that lineup twice etc but he had a lot more left in the tank and he said so we talked to him after the game through Manny Navarro their their uh, translator uh, and he's like look as a starter you always want to stay in there I think I could have stayed in there I'm not going to argue with anybody but you know um I did my job and you could, you know, the thing about him is he, uh, has, you know, he's fastball slider changeup guy. I think, I think he can throw them all for strikes. I think the slider, the angle of that slider is really good. I mean, he gets depth with it. It's like a fastball. He keeps the ball down, but he can pitch above the strike zone if he needs to with that fastball. 
He was painting the outside corner all day, not afraid to throw inside. And he just, he, he was poised. Like we talked to him after the game and it, not that it wasn't a big deal because it was a very big deal for him, but he was sort of like, like he acted like he had been there before. That's the best way I could put it. I love his makeup. I think he's going to be terrific. And I think that's why they traded Blake Snell and they rarely miss, you know, he was the key piece. The Rays rarely miss on trades like this, and I don't think they missed on this kid. Craig in Vegas asks, Yoshi Satsugo had one at-bat in the Jays series in a pinch-hit situation. Is the DFA on the way? Also, have you looked at game times in the MLB nightly through nine innings? They are three-plus hours, if not three-and-a-half hours, with more Ks than ever. Is it getting boring? <laughs> Some of it is. It depends on who's playing. I'll watch the I'll watch the Dodgers and, and the Padres oh, play every night. That's been care. fantastic. I don't care how long those games are. Can we just – I mean, the, the shame of it is, is that one of those teams is not going to win the National League. I mean, really, that's the shame. Because to me, that's the World Series, right? Like, you know, if you take if you take the West or even if you don't and you get in the playoffs and that's your NLCS or your – yeah, your NLCS, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to declare whoever wins that the champions. Um uh let's see i i don't know why baseball's so long um i do think that strikeouts are going to be with us because the plan of attack at the plate is totally different it just is um guys are trying to hit home runs they're going to continue to try to hit home runs it's interesting that the deadened baseball and this might be part of it they wanted more action but you know what? Sometimes more action leads to longer games. And they were pretty long to begin with. But, um, you know, as Kevin Costner would say, strikeouts are fascist. But, you know, you have guys, uh, a lot of those baseballs that may have gone out of the park are not now. But there just seems, I don't know, when I watch the Rays play, and they, they, they struck out quite a bit. But um, they have, they've had, at times they put more balls in play. I think pitchers are going to pitch to more contact once they realize the ball's not traveling as far as it used to. And, and, and I don't know. Uh, there's still a lot of things that they could do to speed up the game, but it is what it is, and it, they could continue to lose fans. I think the seven-inning doubleheaders is smart. Um, I think uh, Except we're not counting own, no hitters in them. We're not counting Madison Baumgartner. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too bad. Uh I don't have. I don't look. This is not like who shot Kennedy. I heard these debates on the radio, um, you know, today, and it was about well, uh, seventh inning, uh, seventh inning no hitter. Don't you think that should be a no hitter? Well, who cares? No, it should. No, be. it should be. But I mean, that's well, that's the time the game was scheduled. It should be, but it's not. But it's a you know, it's not the end of the world. No, it, it it's seven. In, it's still seven innings, you know. I know he got every you, – you went through the whole lineup, you won the game, nobody got any hits. So it is, it is you know, you no-hit know, them. You no-hit them for seven innings, but you did no-hit them. You know, that was the game time. So I don't think it's a big deal either way. Anyway, I don't know how we got on the subject. But um, I, I just think – I don't have an answer for why baseball is so slow. I went to a game that was dominated by pitching, and there were uh, a total of 11 hits in the game. No one on the Rays made it past second base. There were a good number of strikeouts for both teams. There were no extra base hits. And I think that game took three hours, Steve, if I'm not mistaken. And that was with Josh Fleming pitching, who pitches fast. And, that, and Fle- who Fleming, yeah. I mean, he gets it and throws it. Like, it's, you know, it's like, you're, you're, like he's turning a double play almost. I mean, he does not waste. If everybody worked like that, the games would be shorter. But even with all that now, 
you know, they had an injury um, with the starting pitcher with Toronto. They had to come in. You know, that took a little time. They had to throw 20 warm-up tosses instead of 10 or whatever. Um, they used six pitchers. You know, the Rays used five, I think. So, you know, there was uh, there was some of that, but most of the guys started innings. So I, I don't I don't have a great explanation. Like that game, I thought that game would last about two and a half hours, the way it was moving. And then all of a sudden I look up and it's three. I, I, I don't know what baseball has to do. It doesn't bother me, however. I – I understand why you know today's youths uh, want you know more action, faster games, all this stuff, and I think baseball is trying to accommodate that a little bit by not um, making every ball a Super Bowl that flies out of the park. But if you love baseball, you love baseball. If you get it, you get it. It doesn't. I I don't know. I mean, I I'm not a uh, I'm not keeping the clock. I'm not of that generation, and it doesn't bother me. I just understand the game. But I I, I also appreciate that they need younger fans to grow it in regards to Yoshi Tsutsugo too he only uh pinch hit once in the series against the Blue Jays he's not going to play a lot against the A's either because they're facing a lot of left-handed left-handers right yeah that's the biggest um, thing I think what five yeah. out of six games are going to be left-handed starters going against the Rays yeah the I think Jays that's the, the biggest series thing. so yeah that's that's the biggest reason he didn't get a lot of, of ABs in that series and he's the first couple games against Oakland he may not get a lot either so and here's another one you have to DH him He's a liability at first base. So, you know, you've got other guys that can play over there, whether it's Diaz. Are you going to take Diaz's bat? You know, you could DH Diaz. But, again, if it's a left-hander, Diaz has to be in the lineup. And, and he's you your best first baseman defensively right now. And so the other thing is the other good right-handed bat that you got is Mikey Brasso. So if Brasso has to be in there and Diaz has to be in there. And, you know, I mean, where where do you – it's just hard to get him in the game. I mean, I think – I think he's definitely a DFA candidate. He's actually done a little better of late. I mean, he's driven in some runs. He's, you know, he's produced a little when given a chance. But, I mean, on a 25-man roster, what's his number? You know, mm-hmm. it's down there. It's definitely down there. All right. Alredos asks, is Joey Wendell the next Ben Zobrist? Uh... By the way, happy birthday to Joey. On Monday is his 31st birthday. Oh, is he 31? Yes. Didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's older than I thought he was. Interestingly, he's playing the the A's where he came from. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the next Ben Zobrist from this standpoint. He's not like Ben was Ben was a guy that I thought moved. And I'm not saying Joey can't do it. and He's done it at times. But Ben could move from the outfield to the infield pretty easily. And. I don't know that you want to play Joey Wendell. In fact, frankly, you have no need to do it. Because they have enough have, outfielders you, as it you, is You right just now. have so many. <laughs> so that would, to me, be the distinction. Um, I also think that Joey is a better glove than, than Zobris was. I mean, Zobris played a lot of second base, but I, didn't, I don't think Zobris actually came up as a shortstop and was a failure. I mean, he was not a good shortstop. I think Joey does a nice job wherever you put him. I think he does a good mm-hmm. job at third. I think he does a good job at shortstop. I just think he's solid defensively and from a bat standpoint he doesn't possess the power that Zobris had I mean Zobris could hit you some home runs um not not that Wendell hasn't hit a couple and some surprisingly uh, long ones but you're not you're not looking to get 25 home runs out of him every year but if I need um, a hit oh clutch gene is there he's the guy yeah. I want up there on this team clutch gene although not a home run but just I need to get a hit in this situation yeah yeah although although you know Ben was also a switch hitter and not mm-hmm. that he was a great switch hitter, but he could turn around. Yeah. I don't know that Wendell is that great. And I'd have to look at the breakdowns. I don't know that he's that great against left-handers. 
I mean, he could be, but against yeah. really good ones, I've seen him. I've seen him struggle. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, I think I think Zobers had the edge there against righties or lefties, but that's just me. So no, he's not the next Ben Zobers. I guess we've we've established that, but he's a pretty damn good Joey Wendell. All right, Brian asks. There's an upcoming series versus the Astros this weekend. It's the first series we've hosted them with fans in the stands since their scandal broke out. Any insight on the size of garbage cans we're allowed to bring into the trop to bang on each time they bat? <laughs> uh, I don't know. They should have one. You know, it's socially distanced. And if I were if I were managing the trop, I would say since we have the room and we want to keep the trop as clean as possible, there would be a big Rubbermaid garbage can at the end of every row. And because we want to keep it clean, we, yes. we don't want yes. our cleanup, yes. you know, it's just all because we have the space and we can actually position. We just, we just passed Earth Day. We could be recycling bins there, too, yes. for all Absol- the bottles and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you know, and that's the thing, too, because we can't do cups now. You know, cups are not allowed. Yeah. So you have to have bottles. So we, we need to throw and recycle, mm-hmm. um, the, whether it's beer bottle, a Coke bottle. Like, when you go to the concession stands, they don't, there's no fountain drinks anymore. So we need... To dispose of these bottles. So I would say, or, you know, maybe you don't want to dispose of the bottles. Maybe you want to hold that empty bottle in your hand. And as you get ready to throw it away in the garbage can, you might want to beat on that garbage can like a drum. You might want to make some noise. You know, you can't, you don't, you don't have, you, you may not have a cowbell. You may want to just smack that Rubbermaid uh, garbage can before you throw that bottle away. Go ahead and smack that thing then throw the bottle away. I'm just saying, you know, I think it's a great idea. I do and I too. hope. Th- I hope the Rays are listening. And by the way, there's not many teams uh, outside of, well, I guess, I guess the Dodgers. <laughs> they would have a beef. But there's not many teams that have a bigger beef with, with the Astros than the Rays, in my opinion. Because I watched game, uh, I watched game I was at game four. I watched game five. The Rays were going to win that series. There was, we know the Astros cheated. And Tyler Glasnell, the first six guys reached, really? When, when he's throwing 102 miles an hour and then, um, you know, here comes a breaking ball and they're sitting back. I can see Altuve in, in my mind right right now. After seeing 102 miles an hour, the next pitch, he's, he's so back on his back foot, he doesn't flinch. And the guy throws a freaking curveball that he just, you know, just wails on and, and, and isn't fooled one iota. So, you know, I know what I saw and – I absolutely think that it affected the Rays when they got to Game 7 in Houston. There's no doubt in my mind. They just happened to lose every game they played on the road to the Rays that year, I but, believe. By the way, you brought, you brought up a what, point but, that I really hate about this COVID situation. You can't have ice in your drinks when you go out. Like, drinks are supposed to have ice I know. in them. Yeah, that's a tough one. It is a tough one. And I know a lot of people, I like ice. I do like ice in my drinks, but, yeah, yeah it's not happening. Right. It's just bottles. Les asked, do you think Kevin Cash would have to win a World Series in order to get interest from other teams? Seems like he's viewed as just a yes man for all the analytics done upstairs. I wonder if the Rays will be his only managerial job. Well, no, he could manage the A's. That's where they start. No, uh, <laughs> hey, no hey, they, I, look how many former Rays coaches and stuff are all around the there world. You, you don't think yeah, Kevin, Ca- Kevin no. Cash would be hired in a heartbeat if he was let go by the Rays? Yeah, because I think, I think people – People are going to be people, right? I mean, and it is it is a unique look. The Rays the Rays are unique in that the the amount of data and analytics, right? They're on the cutting edge, and and teams and and other teams, including the Yankees, are are following their lead and the Red Sox and all of that, right? So, um, but the thing about cash is, 
regardless of what if the game is baseball, moreover, if the game is people, if you're talking and that's what managing is, right? You can get great players, not so great players. The job is to is to put these guys in the right position to to get them um, relaxed, to give them information, to help them succeed, and and manage the club. And there's not there's not a whole lot of better people persons or managers than Kevin Cash. Kevin Cash just gets it. You know, he's got an affable personality. He can be hard when he needs to be hard. He's self-deprecating when he wants to be self-deprecating. He's a great communicator, and he knows how to communicate with all types of people from all types of countries. I mean, you look at that that ball club they have with the Rays. I mean, I think, what was it, a year ago? Maybe this year they had like nine different nations represented in that clubhouse. That's not an easy thing to do, translators or no translators. So I think Kevin Cash absolutely would – I mean, he's one manager of the year. You know, that's something that, that on your resume, the only thing better is World Series champion, Right. Um, and he came damn close to that. And, you know, game six, Snell and all that notwithstanding, I think baseball knows how good Kevin Cash is. And to your point, Steve, you're exactly right. You don't have to let other people tell you how good the Rays are. And, you know, and, and all these fan bases will squawk, oh, the Rays are bad for baseball. Look, baseball knows how good they are. That's why they keep hiring them. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's why. That's yeah. why so many managers, general managers, are coming from the Tampa Bay Rays. The analytics are everywhere in baseball. Everybody's using them. Absolutely. Fans believe Kevin Cash is a yes man. Right. Baseball knows that analytics drives a lot of baseball, not just the Rays or the A's, but everybody Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous resource and tool for teams, but mm-hmm. they know how good Kevin Cash is. You don't get to 90 wins in 97 and then go 40 and 20 and get to the World Series without being a good manager. You, do, you just Listen, don't. I was watching, because uh, uh, I love this movie, and, and actually we're witnessing it reincarnated right now. I was watching Moneyball you know, with Brad Pitt, and they were doing the story mm-hmm. on Billy Bean and all that. And there's a scene in there where um, David Justice, or the, the actor portraying David Justice, mm-hmm. is taking BP, and they've cut all these guys, you know, and they're gutting the team, and they want these players. They're sitting down with players. And they're saying, look, you need to – you know, you need to take more walks. You need to, you know, when you when you swing at this pitch, this is your batting average. When your count is two and zero, oh, this is your batting average. And they're selling. They're really it's the the beginning of analytics, sort of with Moneyball and all of that. And they're selling it to the players. And there's one point. There's one scene there where, um, you know, where Billy Bean says to David Justice, "You think you're you're pretty special, right?" And and he was 37 years old at the time, um, David Justice was. And, and Justice says, well, you're paying me $7 million, so that says I'm special, yeah. And he goes, no, we're not. We're paying you $3.5 million. The Yankees are paying you $3.5 million to play against them. That's what you are, you know? And so, I, you know, Justice kind of got it. But it's, it's in – and I'm not saying that's that conversation Cash would have, but the point is – it's the communication. It's it's the buy-in. It's making, you know, all these guys want to make as much money as they can. They want as many numbers as they can get. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. a, a completely selfless group, or so it seems, on that raised team that will pitch the first inning, the second inning. Um, the, the, opener other stra- talk- the opener strategy doesn't work if, if Kevin Cash and the organization doesn't get buy-in from everybody. Exactly. I mean, baseball exactly. was making fun of it when it started. Players were ripping it, saying, I would never pitch there. How, right? How could you, you know, be a pitcher and 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 not say something and do that? Right. And now it's happening everywhere. 
And we talked to to Andrew Kittridge the other day, and he of course came you know off of injury and everything. But like Kittridge was, he has pitched every single. He's pitched innings one through ten in his career with the Rays, mm-hmm. and you know like that's the thing. Like they all accept it, and and Kevin Cash is responsible for that culture. He he's the guy. Right, that that has to go and have those meetings with the David Justices of the world and say, look, you know, re- forget about what you thought. Here's the reality. Here's what we need. You know, um, you do this and we win. Um, and and it's just, you know, it, it, he's and he could have managed in any era. By the way, I mean, you've been around this game long enough to know that. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Cash, analytics, no analytics. He he's good enough to have done it at any time. So yeah, and and you're right. If he's out there tomorrow. How many? How many job? Whoever has an opening is calling. Him Take first. your pick of jobs. Yeah, including absolutely. the Yankees. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. They got Booney up there. I mean, yeah. what's what's Booney done? Well, he's absolutely. got a bunch of savages. Yeah, he does. <laughs> they got a stable full of guys that throw a hundred. So, yeah. Who would you have rather have? All right, we'll end on this one. When Brian asked about the Lightning, he says the next six games are seemingly a stretch to make a push to get one of the top spots in playoff seating. However, three of them are against the Dallas Stars, who are playing better of late. They're 7-1-2 in their last 10. And competing for the final spot in the playoffs in this division. How many points do you think is reasonable for the Lightning to get? Uh, between now and then? Yeah, or the last six the games. Stars? The last six, or the, the three against the Stars. Take your pick. Well, babe, hey, they got to get 12, right? I mean, that's reasonable. <laughs> Why not? I mean, there's no team. Let's put it to you this way. Um, so... They 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 have two against Chicago, right? As we do this podcast, right? No, it's uh, they're going to. There's a one. If one against Chicago, one against Chicago. So uh, that, tonight it'll be a Chicago. Thursday will be home for Dallas. Okay. And then they're in Detroit for two this weekend. Okay. And then it's Dallas next week. All right. So there's literally not a game they won't be favored to win. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that they that they win them all, but they could win them all. So, I mean, twelve points is reasonable to expect. If they don't, maybe they fall shy and they get 10. Maybe they get 8. I don't know. But they absolutely could win every one of these games. I will add this. So we're taping this on Monday afternoon. Right. So the Lightning, by the time you hear this, may have clinched a playoff spot if Nashville loses in regulation. And maybe that changes things, but does it really? I mean, do you you think, seriously, even if they clinch a, a, Mm -hmm. a playoff spot, now, if there's some guys that are nicked up, clearly you don't put them on the ice hurt, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you maybe be a little more judicious about, hey, this guy's got this pain here. This guy, uh, I want everybody 100 percent that's that's playing today. Mm-hmm. Failing that though, don't you think that they want to position themselves as best as they can and be playing mm-hmm. really, really well and have momentum going into this? Because also, it looks like there's going to be a week in between when they stop playing until Canada stops playing. It does look like that, which will benefit the light. The other part of what I was going to say is they may clinch a playoff spot on Monday night. If not, if a win on Tuesday and they do clinch. Right. But this is also, they just started Sunday, a stretch of five games in eight days. I do not expect them to sweep all five games. That's a lot no, of hockey. In that would be days. hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, last time they did it, they went 4-1, and one, which was really good. That's so, outstanding. Yeah. You know, will they drop a game? And you know, figuring McElhaney is going to start one of this weekend against Detroit. Maybe he starts right. another one as well. And they may want to get Vasilevsky some rest coming down the stretch. Now that they presumably will have clinched the playoffs. Like I said, by the time you're hearing this, they may have. But you know, so you know, how many times is McElhaney starting? Um, are you going to rest a Victor Hedman or a Ryan McDonough or you know some of those players? Maybe they're a little dinged up. Maybe you just want a mental rest. Uh, you know. The question is, are they going for the top seed? 
or are they trying to get their game ready for the playoffs? And that might mean sitting Braden Point for a game because you just want to get him off his feet a game and rest, or, or Vasilevsky more. I, I don't know what they're thinking in those regards, so I, I think that impacts how many points they may get the next two weeks. Um, but it does sound like we heard John Cooper say it several times. Victor Hedman said it after the game on Sunday that it looks like the NHL is going to wait for all the divisions to finish their seasons before they start the playoffs or pretty close. We know that the lightning season in the central division ends on May 10th. The East division, I think ends May 11th right now, barring any changes to schedules going forward. We're not there yet. The Western division is playing through May 14th. I think it is. And Canada is playing through May 16th. So yeah, you may have a week off in between, which can help too, which if they if the Lightning know they're going to have a week off, maybe Vasilevsky doesn't get a lot of rest. Maybe you want him to play more, knowing he's going to have a week off in between starts at the, at the end of the season. So, you know, how you manage your roster for these last, you know, two weeks, and, and is Stamkos back? Is Jan Ruda back? Is Cooch back early? You know, all this impacts things too as far as, you know, trying to get ready for the playoffs more importantly than winning the games. Do you uh, – we'll finish on the lightning here, but do, do you think that Cooch will or they would want to have him play before the postseason? Yes. Words, I, I, I think, yes, I think they would love to have him play before the, se- the, the, the season ends. But I think there are several things at play here. One, you do not want to put him out in a game before he is absolutely ready. I mean, I think he can step on and, and, and start game one of the playoffs, or even if he misses the first couple and is in game three or four, and he'll be fine. Now, is he going to be 100% this playoffs? No. We saw Braden Point when he had the same surgery. It took him a month or two to, to really get back to full, to full go. But would they like to have him in a few games beforehand? I think they'd love that. But it's all going to be based on the medical people. I mean, if, there's any, if he's not ready for 100% for contact yet, why would you even risk it? There's no need to. You've got you've made the playoffs. Would you like him to get some games? Sure. Would he like some games? I guarantee he, I, he would like to have played three months ago. Cooch loves to play hockey. I mean, that's what he wants. To, that's what he loves to do. But you've got to make sure he's. You know, this is the long term play. Not even just this postseason, but long term with him, not short term in that regard. So. All right. Thanks for your mailbag questions. There you have your answers. They're one hundred percent guaranteed answered correctly for you. The Rays will continue their series against the Oakland A's. We're going to have Valspars this week. Busy week. NFL draft on Thursday night as well. We're going to have Tom Jones tomorrow, my former radio partner, longtime columnist, Tampa Bay Times. He'll be with us. So make sure you keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. We're here every Monday through Friday. We didn't, even, Steve- me- we didn't even mention oh, the Bucks picked up the fifth-year option on Vita Vea officially. So. You're right. I we mean, didn't. we knew that was coming, but... We did. It's breaking news as we were doing this podcast. Uh, they the Bucks put that out there, and um, yeah, I mean he's look he uh, he he's earned it, and I think that the next really high paid player on this football team is going to be one Vita Vea. Um, you know, and I remember, you know, just how controversial that pick was because of Derwin James and you know the year that he had as a rookie. But would you trade Vita Vea right now? I don't think I would. Um, not many guys I'd want in the interior line as, as Vita. So congratulations to him as well. So check us out all week long. It's going to be a great one. Uh, for Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.